It's Friday, it's episode 891 of the Roadman Cyclone Podcast, and Sarah's back for some more newbie questions. This happened to Chris Froome not that long ago. I mean, Froome, he got doored. <laughs> Froome was Froome, he wasn't it that got doored. Don't think Froome's got doored. Don't think door. so. Maybe he has, but there you go, that proves my point, doesn't it? Froome's yeah. getting doored. <laughs> so somebody called and they'd be like, hey, Anthony, it's Robert. And then I just panic and I'd say, hello, who's speaking, please? And there's like, I just told you it was Robert. <laughs> I love it. I think that's absolutely hysterical. Well, it got worse then with the digital display because I was like, I could see on the thing, Robert calling. Then he'd pick up the phone, he'd be like, hey, it's Robert. And I'd be like, hello, speaking, speaking please. please. <laughs> I was going so fast, I hit the traffic island. I was propelled so high in the air that I had time to form conscious thought in the air and go, wow, this is going to be shit. This is really going to be suck. Hello, everybody. <laughs> I just jumped in there. Yeah, I usually wait for you to introduce me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting very confident here. <laughs> I was just about to say hello, Sarah. <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's like when it's the takeover. you call someone and they're just like talking immediately before you even say hello. It's better than the way I used to answer the phone, though, which we talked about yesterday. Oh, how funny. Yeah, this is just like, I was asking Anthony, from what age to what age did he do this? Anyone answers, now this is back in the day when there's a landline, you didn't know who was calling you and everyone kind of really did have a specific way that they answered their home phone. Usually they would give their number back to the person, which is also very, very strange. But Anthony, <laughs> what did you say? You know what, I think I kept this going. You were saying like back when people didn't know who was calling. We did digital display pretty early, so I actually did know who was calling, which makes this even worse. <laughs> I had a script that I was taught from a young age and I just, no matter what happened, I never deviated. It was like, hello, who's speaking, please? So somebody called and they'd be like, hey, Anthony, it's Robert. And then I just panic and I'd say, hello, who's speaking, please? And there's like, I just told you it was Robert. I love it. I think that's absolutely hysterical. But it got worse then with the digital display because I was like, I could see on the thing, Robert calling. Then he'd pick up the phone and he'd be like, hey, it's Robert. And I'd be like, hello, who's speaking, who's speaking please? please? And this went on for years. Do you ever have that? urge to say that when you when you pick up your you don't really ever don't pick really up your mobile do you no. no why would you productivity hack turn off all your ringtones absolutely it's your phone notifications you, nothing you don't get me exactly you get Pigeon. to decide you get to decide yeah, much to Sarah's annoyance <laughs> I actually think Anthony has been blocked that's how that's how little he answers his phone to me in case of emergency you have to call me mammy if you need me send me a tweet that's the best way to get me <laughs> totally the Tour de France and the Tour de France Femme routes have been announced for next summer, Anthony. It's all the yap about these routes and the Grand Tour, the greatest three weeks. And really, when you add on the, the women racing, kind of four and a half weeks, uh, the chat has started already and I can't wait. I haven't dug too much into the route because I know you're doing a podcast tomorrow. So I'm kind of waiting for that to really unpack it for me. But I do know there's two time trials, four summit finishes, and a departure from the typical showdown we're used to seeing in Paris, the Sprinters World Championships. We're going to kind of a novel concept of a finish in Nice this year. Oh, oh it's going to be amazing. Oh, they're not going to go to Paris. No Paris, au revoir Paris. No Champs-Élysées. No, I don't know why actually. And that's what I'm saying. Like you can figure out why tomorrow. Maybe it's a, I know that this was known for a while. Like I knew this last okay. year that they wouldn't be in Paris next year, but I don't know why. Okay, interesting. Well, tune in everybody tomorrow. I'm going to certainly get to the bottom of that. And in keeping with our new tradition, I'm going to give a little My Woosh session of the week because people have been doing these and enjoying these sessions. So as long as you're getting some value out of them, we'll keep doing them. 
This is a session that I absolutely love. So three by 10 minutes is a typical session that coaches have given out for years. And I remember a few years back, I was fortunate enough to be coached by Mike Barry, who was riding for Team Sky at the time. And he talks to me about when you ride into the base of a climb, you never ride in easy. You ride in full gas, whether that's in a sportif and you're jostling with friends, mucking about, or whether it's in a race and you're fighting for position. So instead of doing a static three by 10 minutes at threshold or zone four, we're going to change this up for this week's session. So it's a 60-minute session. So it's a one-minute full gas effort as hard as you can into nine minutes threshold. And you're going to repeat that three times. So one minute full gas into nine minutes threshold, repeat it three times. Amazing. You know, I'm going to stick that session into the show notes because I know a lot of people listen when they're in the car or on the bike and they don't have time to write it down. So I'm going to quickly summarize that and stick that in the show notes for everybody. We got a lot of feedback about our last My Wish session of the week as well, that loads of people had tried it. So I think this is, I think this has been a good addition. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Actually, I've been doing the sessions each week myself as well. So it's kind of a prompt for me to go back and try some of these old classic sessions. Okay, will we jump on into the questions? Do it, let's do it. Okay, question number one. Hey, Anthony, I recently had a tumble from my bike. I didn't lift my front wheel enough and went over the handlebars in a very dramatic way, landing on my back in front of about 20 teenagers who didn't even help me, just rolled around laughing. Ha, I probably would have done the same. But I want to know what's your most embarrassing crash ever. Everyone has these stories. Yeah, I've had two that are probably a contender. I've had, yeah, look, I've had a lot of crashes through the years when you're riding the bike that long. Touch wood, I haven't had too many in recent years. My very first group ride with local club here, Swords, stands out because I'd gotten my bike and all my bike kit as a hand-me-down from somebody who's a very experienced triathlete, Jared Hartman, here in Ireland, a very prominent physiotherapist as well, worked with Lance Armstrong, Paula Radcliffe, and a bunch of other top athletes. So I'd got my bike and all my kit from him. So I looked pretty legit. Like I looked like I knew what I was doing, but I literally picked it up on the Friday and now I was going on the Saturday for my first ever group spin with swords. So I had all my old like Benesto, bib tights, cool. I must've looked cool as F, right? But I rolled up to the group ride. I was just about on time. As the lads say, the group doesn't meet at nine. It leaves at nine. I'd say I got there about like one minute to spare. And instead of like, kind of sheepishly rolling into the back of the group I just kind of I wanted to make a scene I announced myself so I rode kind of straight past the group stopped in position one right at the front like I was Lewis Hamilton taking my position on the grid and I realised I didn't know how to clip out a pedal so I had that crash that all of us have and I just went boom down in front of the whole group of maybe 60, 70 guys and girls and I don't think I lived that one down for a long time my second one was similar to what, and I'll let people judge for themselves, which is more embarrassing. My second one was similar to the one that you're talking about here. A captive audience in a city centre, they'd recently installed a tram system here in Dublin, the Lewis, and my tyres on my commuting bike were a perfect fit for this Lewis track line. So I went past the busiest station in Dublin on Stevens Green, went to turn, caught in the Lewis line, no helmet on, wearing jeans and a t-shirt, cut myself to pieces. The bike almost stuck in the line. Like, I don't even think the bike hit the ground. I was just gone. Horrific. How quickly did you jump up from that, though, both of those crashes? Because I think no matter how, you know, much pain you're 
in or what you've broken or your bike smashed, you become rubber, don't you? You're like a ball. You just like get straight back up and you're like, fine, 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 I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. No one give me any attention. But you know, there's so much shame as well where I'm like, yeah. oh, can I keep my head just covered? Can I, I know everyone's looking like, oh. I know, it's absolutely awful. I I think my, I haven't had too many embarrassing ones. I have had some embarrassing ones, but thankfully I've been on my own. So it's like my own personal <laughs> shame, kept those to myself. I think one that stands out for me or a day that stands out for me is when I first took up gravel riding and Anthony, of course, took me on some pretty gnarly routes. And I mean, he'd just look around every couple of minutes and I'd be on the ground or in a bush. Where or was <laughs> On the dunes or in Hoth. And oh my God, you hit the ground so many times. <laughs> and that was just like, yeah, that was getting pretty embarrassing towards the end. But I was just having such a laugh at my own expense and kind of taking it all on the chin. But yeah, only really Anthony there to bear witness to that. But that's a cool place to learn though, because it is it is quite technical and you're going to crash a lot, but it's literally like fall into pillows because yeah. they have this really high marum grass, which yeah. totally, there's no bad way to land in it almost. No, none at all. So it's just like, it's yeah, it's like landing onto 10 <laughs> pillows. So yeah, would highly recommend doing that. I'm really excited to announce our show sponsors for today, Silka. For those of you who do not know, Silka offer best-in-the-game bike accessories like tools, pumps, and all your everyday bike maintenance kit like chain wax and sealant. But what sets them apart, it's their commitment to quality, beauty, and craftsmanship. Trust me, these products are beautiful. They are built to last. Take, for instance, my track pump. I've been replacing my track pump, honestly, about every two years with these generic track pumps I get at my local bike shop. My dad has had a Silka track pump since I can remember, and it's still going strong. If you want to spoil yourself, or maybe you just want to treat one of your cycling buddies, they've so many amazing products on their website. Their torque wrenches, their bike bags, 3D printed bike mounts. There's loads of really cool pieces there. They're like pieces of art. And for those of you interested in drivetrain efficiency, Silka offers the Secret Chain Blend. It's a chain wax that reduces chain friction, doesn't attract dirt and grime, and prolongs the life of your drivetrain components. As a Roadman listener, you can get 13% off all Silka products. Just use the code ROADMAN13 at checkout. That's ROADMAN13 at checkout. Not only is that going to get you a fantastic deal, but it also lets Silka know that sponsoring this podcast is valuable. So whether you're shopping for a gift or you're treating yourself, Silka has something for every cyclist who hates the new throwaway culture we're in and appreciates and loves the quality and craftsmanship. So check them out and don't forget to use the code ROADMAN13 for 13% off your purchase. All these links are in today's show notes. This question really intrigued me because I think everybody really does have a story, an embarrassing story. And every time they think of it, they kind of get that like red cheeks. And I was on Reddit and found a hilarious story. And I'm going to read it out because this one, I think, is just, you know, <laughs> absolutely priceless. So this guy said, last year, my dad and I were finishing a group ride. We were about half a mile from the house. My dad sat up and leaned back to stretch his back. Anthony, this sounds like this could be you. You're always stretching on the bike. As soon as he leaned back, the bolt that holds your seat to the seat post snapped in half. Yes, the bolt. And dumped him onto his back wheel where he 
credit card it, <laughs> his 18 mile per hour spinning wheel with his butthole. There he was lying on the ground on a fairly busy road, ass completely exposed from his shredded bibs, bleeding out of his butt. My dad had to sit on a donut for two weeks after and didn't poop for five days after the crash. Oh my God, that's like that, that was posted on Reddit years ago. And I would say that that guy is still getting over that experience. That is absolutely hysterical. I love the hysterical. expression credit carded. <laughs> At 18 miles per hour. But there you go. Everyone has a story. Anyone wants to write in to me at sarah at roadmindcycling.com with their embarrassing stories. I think that would be kind of funny maybe to cover again next week. Okay. And another question came in along the same vein a couple of weeks ago that we didn't cover at the time. Sometimes we think it's quite unlucky to talk about crashing. We're a superstitious bunch here. But simply put, this question said, Anthony, what's the worst crash you've ever had? Oh, uh, yeah, I don't like talking about crashing, but since this seems to be kind of a crash-themed episode, the worst crash I ever had. Firstly, I want to debunk that myth. People are like, oh, the slow ones are as bad as the fast ones. Like, I've crashed at like one kilometers an hour, and then my worst one, I'd say, was at 85, 90 kilometers an hour. I hit a traffic island coming off the Pyrenees in a race over called Bassor de Basque in France. That one wasn't good because I did so much time. I was going so fast. I hit the traffic island. I was propelled so high in the air that I had time to form conscious thought in the air and go, wow, this is going to be shit. This is really going to be suck. Oh my God. And so I was spinning through the air and then I fell. And then I'm not sure if I blacked out for a minute. I don't think I did. It was a winter race as well. It was like first race of the season. So it was like end of January. So I was super wrapped up because it was snow and stuff. And I remember hitting the ground and trying to move and I couldn't and then just thinking oh my god you idiot you've got paralyzed in a bike race thankfully I hadn't oh it was ri- a broken ribs collarbone shoulder blade a bunch of other stuff but that was a pretty bad one that's the worst I one hope ever. I never topped that yeah I hope not just that moment of realization as you're coming through the air like whoa this is this is no way no darkness my old friend. oh god uh, and me, not that this listener asked about me, but I'm going to give you my exact, my experience. The worst crash I've ever had. I've been really, really lucky. I did have a crash this year in my very first ever race. But previous to that, I came off my bike on our Saturday spin and I happened to be talking about crashing at the time to another cyclist beside me. And a car kind of came up and I have no bike angling skills. So I just kind of, I just ditched it. (laughs) And I slid across the gravel road and got some pretty serious road rash on my butt and my thighs. When I came back, Anthony wasn't on that. Oh no, he he met us kind of halfway in the spin. When we got back, Anthony was like, scrub that out and that looks really gnarly. That's going to be really painful tomorrow. I was looking at it in the mirror going, oh, this is badass. I'm finally a cyclist. This is so cool. But yeah, a few hours later, I was screaming in agony. And I never skipped the Saturday spin and there's never a crash on the Saturday no. spin. And I skipped that Saturday spin to meet you guys just for the last half an hour. I think I was sick. And I came back and there was two crashes. One of the other lads, uh, a great lad on the spin, Tom, Tom had also yeah. like concussed himself on the spin. It was like it was the craziest spin ever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why you're our lucky charm. He should just always go on that. Question number three, and this is from Alex Muse. Sarah, can you discuss the mental recovery from crashing? How do pros get over crashes? What support do they get, if any? And what strategies do they use to get back on the horse? A lot focuses on the physical recovery. There's very little chat on the mental side of recovery. That's a brilliant question. 
it's becoming more of an area of concern because we used to know very little about concussion and people would say, oh, he's had his bell rung. And there's been a number of high-profile crashes that have started to shine a light on this. And we've seen riders like I had Ian Boswell on the podcast and Ian had to step away from the sport as like a super early age. I think he was 28 when he retired. And in that point, he'd had six severe concussions. Now, since then, he's gone on and he won Unbound 200 in 2021. He's built this new career part two as a gravel solopreneur. But, you know, pretty shocking that he had to walk away from the sport after six concussions. And the only way he was able to make sense of this was to work extensively with a therapist. So we are seeing more and more of this you know, there's been a lot of ignorance around the mental preparation side of athletes for a long time. And I think that veil of secrecy or that veil of shame has been kind of ripped apart now. And it is not only okay, but encouraged for riders to go and see a therapist to deal with these issues. Yeah. And I think that the world tour teams are quite good at having people on their teams in the back office teams, sports psychologists as well, and doctors who can prescribe if, you know, if a head injury or, you know, TBI, which is traumatic brain injury, does happen from some of these crashes. A big side effect of TBI, of course, is depression. And I know not a lot of cyclists have come out and talked about this, but certainly in other sports, some people have been very, very vocal about it. And some teams are better than others. I mean, we saw basically with uh, Fabio Jakobsen, Anthony, remember that really, really terrible crash he had? Yeah, Quickstep really stood by him and they really invested a lot of time, money and resources into his recovery and he also had therapy for PTSD I mean what he went through was very very frightening and that was you know a huge focus of even his training schedule and when he was speaking about his recovery he spoke about having to lose this ego that he had that he was kind of starting on step number one again as a cyclist that he wasn't at that really really high level again and setting these kind of smaller goals was what he did to you know get to come back to world tour but the quick step team really did now look at the end of the day these teams want to make money they want to be victorious as well so i think it's like do they ditch these riders if they have ptsd or you know concussions recurring concussions after these falls but maybe they see so much potential in a rider that they invest in them you know and you would like to think that it's not a financially driven decision that jacobson's still quite a young rider with a lot of road in front of him and that it's actually just been a shift in cycling because my mind's drawn back to Taylor Finney and he had a really nasty crash in the US National Championships back in 2014. He slid out, he was trying to avoid a motorbike and he kind of went under these barriers. And I know Finney said afterwards that it's the head which goes long before the legs and that that 2014 never left his head. And so he retired from cycling at the age of 30 off the back of that injury really. And I know for me, I get what you're saying with the Jakobsen crash, that it's super severe and traumatic. But I think the lens to view trauma through isn't an objective one. Like if me and you look and say, oh, that Jakobsen crash is shocking. You could have something that looks quite benign, but it's a personal journey. If I find that crash traumatic, that's ultimately what's going to make me retire, not how it's viewed by the public. Like I've had pretty innocuous crashes where I've touched wheels in a peloton and gone down, but I still wake up at night at a jolt sometimes where... 
I have a dream where I touch wheels and then I'm going down and then I wake up with a jolt just as I'm hitting the ground. Like that's not normal. No, wow. That is indented into your brain, that experience. The one we watched the other night was Remco Avonapol. He's kind of started putting a lot of kind of blog stuff on YouTube. And we saw him the other night. He had a very bad crash. Remember when he fell, I think it was over 30 feet. Lombardia. Lombardia, yeah. So in this YouTube video, everyone go and check it out. It's actually very, very good content. He went back to revisit the crash site and his beautiful wife was with him and they were kind of chatting about how he was feeling about it, looking down into this massive chasm. And that was all part of his recovery from it as well. I think there's a few ways to think about avoiding crashes. So one of the most common places that I see crashes happening, it's in corners. So maybe here's three, my three most common ways of staying out of crashes. Corner is the first one. That's where we see so, so many crashes. And I see most of these crashes in corners, whether it's pros or amateurs or someone out on the group ride. I see most of them because people are taking the wrong line for the corner. They're just steering too much through corners. And if you look at anyone who's good at cornering, you dissect what Nibali does through a corner. Everyone follows the same approach where it's outside, inside, outside approach. You're entering from the outside of the corner, you're cutting across to hit the apex and then you're exiting wide because this is going to allow smoother and a faster cornering experience. Now, additionally, if you think about your weight distribution, that should be forced onto the outside pedal, which should be in the six o'clock position. This is going to give you more balance and that's going to give you more traction. I think if you can get cornering right, you're reducing one of the main risk factors. But another one is predictive positioning, as I call it. This is kind of when you're in a big group, strategically thinking about where you're placing yourself within this group. If it's a group ride, that's one thing. You know, you're rotating pace line. You don't get much choice on that. But if you're in a sportif or if you're in a bike race, staying out of trouble is normally a numbers game. Get closer to the front so there's less chance of someone crashing on front of you, but also move to one side so you have better visibility and easier maneuverability so you have quicker reaction times. That's a really safe spot in the peloton, I think. Now, the final one where you see some horrible crashes is descents. So if you're on a steep descent, you want to shift your weight back slightly with your center of gravity low and balanced. You want to brake with both brakes at the same time, but feathering them rather than, you know, jamming on them. And remember that the front brake has a lot more power to stop you than the back brake. So just modulate that carefully. Okay, they're absolutely amazing tips. I um, definitely need to work on all of those skills. Yeah, if you can take, there's obviously a million different scenarios people get. Dored is one I, I never get. I've never got dored. Touch wood, I will never get dored. Like that just seems like such a weird one because you know a door doesn't open at a variable length. You pretty much know how wide a door is going to open up. So don't yeah, ride that close to the door. Hang on a second. This happened to Chris Froome not that long ago. I mean, Froome, he got dored. <laughs> was Froome, wasn't it, that got dored? Don't think Froome's got dored. Don't think dored. so. Maybe he has, but there you go. That proves my point, doesn't it? Froome yeah. getting dored. <laughs> Like the door is the same length as always. I think it's very easy to get doored. If you are getting squeezed by oncoming traffic, there's situations where you have to ride close to parked cars. It's just inevitable. But like there is a million situations where you can have crashes. But I think if I was to throw something else into that that I didn't talk about, it's also just positioning on the road. Because if you have a better position on the road, that's going to stop you, like you say, being squeezed in to riding too close to the car so you can you know just maybe it's occupying the entire lane as opposed to Taking just the being, primary position as they say that's yeah. it that's it but i think that's a decent little wrap up on how to stay safe on the bike so thank you for prompting that sarah and getting me out of my comfort zone and talking a little bit about crashes 
Oh, me too. Okay. That's it for today, folks. Sarah is going to be back for her usual Saturday spot tomorrow where we're going to talk, or she's going to talk about the Tour de France and the Tour de France femme route. So plenty to unpack and look forward to there. I'm going to be back again on Monday for a regular scheduled broadcast. Until then, ride safe and have a great weekend. I was fully thought that you were going to talk about uh, bike maintenance when you were saying about the, you know, important things, how not to crash. Jeez, remember that crash that you had? I just don't want to admit that I had a broken chain (laughs) (laughs) over the bars with a broken chain. That's when I got Yeah, look, people should be checking their chain wear and I wasn't maybe the most diligent. It was a time when I wasn't cycling too much as well. I was only maybe riding the bike once a week. Yeah, so so maintain your bike, maybe we'll cover it next week. Maintain your bike, folks. (laughs) 